Hey guys. After every mass shooting, the immediate response from the left is to tell Republicans that they're bad people and that their own desire for gun restriction is part of a broader understanding that us plebs don't have, one based on common sense. Of course, that is a meaningless term designed to make what is clearly unconstitutional appear to be nothing more than the kind of reformation any sane person would want. In actuality, leftists rarely vocally advocate for an amendment since this is unpalatable to so many Americans and is simply unrealistic. Instead, they make emotional appeals while demanding common-sense gun control, which is ironic because these common-sense measures would simply restrict gun ownership by burying your average law-abiding citizen in a convoluted, unnavigable, bureaucratic hell if they ever want to own a firearm. I rarely hear a unique or thought-provoking argument from a leftist regarding gun control. So when I was laying out this presentation, I was thinking about the trite arguments that I consistently get, and those are the points that I've focused on. I get a lot of emails from people asking what they can do to contribute to the paradigm shift that's happening since they cannot be public voices due to their jobs or another conflict. I always say that affecting change on an individual level is the best way. Isn't that how it happened for most of us? Someone put facts in front of our faces that, although completely contrary to our worldview and perhaps very jarring and upsetting, at some point could no longer be ignored. When someone in your life gives you the cliche laundry list of reasons that we need gun control now, it's your personal responsibility and patriotic duty to try to debate them out of their idiotic misconceptions. It usually doesn't work, but boy, I keep trying. As many of you know, we are gun owners, but I am not super well-versed and still have some fears surrounding shooting some of our guns. But I think this is pretty typical, and in a debate with your average person, it will be most effective to deal in layman's terms. Most of the people that I talk to, especially in Seattle, have no understanding of guns, how to use them, the terminology. We all saw this insane USA Today tweet where they added a possible attachment to the Texas shooter's gun, a giant chainsaw. Even though this is a media outlet with a clear leftist agenda, they're capitalizing on people's lack of knowledge of firearms. This made me seriously concerned that your average person thinks that it is both easy and practical to alter your weapon to make it appropriate for a zombie apocalypse. There is an element of mysticism and deep fear surrounding firearms within the general population that the left exploits at every turn. That is the second part to changing people's minds about the necessity of upholding the Second Amendment. First, facts and statistics refuting the left's arguments. And second, normalizing gun use and demystifying them by explaining how they work. I won't be getting into that today because I have so much data to discuss and I am not a firearms expert, but Steven Crowder has done some good work on this that I've linked below and I've linked a few other videos that might be helpful for you to show someone or to help educate yourself. So what are the most common arguments, outside of it just being common sense, that the left summons to try to push gun control? At least as of late because of Texas and Las Vegas, one of the most common arguments that I hear is that gun restriction and control will prevent mass shootings. The Texas shooting is the left's worst nightmare. I saw this Mike Huckabee tweet that was so concise and exactly why the left's shrieking about gun control really only lasted until all the information about the shooting came out. Texas killer was liberal atheist stopped by Christian NRA instructor with privately owned firearm when existing gun laws failed to stop him. We now know this to be true. Stephen Williford, who did a heartwarming interview with Crowder earlier this week that I've linked below, is a right-wing Christian NRA instructor and a white male who said that he never would have been able to stop the mass shooter, a devout atheist by the way, without his AR-15. We also know that the shooter should not have been able to purchase weapons legally had the Air Force properly filed the documents that would have barred him from ownership after he beat the crap out of his wife and his young stepchild. But more bureaucracy will totally solve mass shootings, you guys. 
Leftists will almost certainly begin this conversation about the necessity of gun control by summoning the most recent mass shooting in America. Then we'll want to discuss how America specifically has a problem with mass shootings. We've even heard this from Barack Obama, who said that this type of mass violence does not happen in other advanced countries. This is simply not true. Mother Jones has compiled a list that I've linked below of all mass shootings since 1982 in America, which total 790 deaths and include the most recent mass shootings. This is about a 35-year span. There have been 974 deaths in America in mass shootings in the last 50 years. To put this in perspective, in France, where there are incredibly strict gun laws, 532 people were killed in mass shootings in 2015 alone, which of course was a year filled with Islamic attacks. France has a population of around 65 million. America's population is around 326 million. So a country where it is illegal to own guns that is less than a fifth of the population of America produced 67% of the entire number of fatalities in mass shootings over a 35-year span here in just a single year. 2015. Granted, this year at least can be attributed to the Muslim problem in France, since the Bataclan and a number of other Islamic attacks occurred in 2015. But France is awash with illegal weapons. Some experts estimate that there are twice as many illegal weapons as legal ones in the country. This clearly increases their vulnerability to terrorism and other incidents like the Bataclan. Invariably, in the presentation of comparative data like this, sources, especially in the mainstream media, fail to present a per capita analysis. Of course, America has more mass shootings than France. We have five times the population. Similar arguments can usually be completely unraveled just using the Socratic method in a debate. I could only find this data from 2009 to 2015. So the last two years of mass shootings, which were some of the worst in America's history, Texas, Las Vegas, Orlando, San Bernardino, didn't fall within this data set. That's around 150 fatalities between those four major events. So by my calculation, even if you included these in this data set, despite them not falling in the applicable time frame, it would increase the US to around 0.104 fatalities fatalities per million, which still wouldn't push us into the number 10 spot. But hypotheticals aside, including all mass shootings from 2009 to 2015 in Europe, Canada, and the US, when corrected for population, this is the ranking of fatalities per million due to mass public shooting. As you can see, the US is around the middle for this time range, uh, despite many of these countries having extremely strict gun laws. Leftists are really shameless about misrepresenting data. They don't care about the truth and they have an ends justify the means attitude. I also constantly hear this unsubstantiated drivel about how gun bans have worked. Both Britain and Australia have had severely tightened gun laws. The government has conducted buybacks and basically complete bans. In Australia in 1996, a man named Martin Bryant, who NBC says has an IQ of an 11-year-old, which I thought was pretty constant over most of your life, so I'll assume that they mean he had a childlike mental capacity. Anyway, he went into a cafe and murdered 35 people with a semi-automatic rifle. The Australian government subsequently introduced legislation that outlawed automatic and semi-automatic rifles as well as pump-action shotguns. A nationwide gun buyback scheme also saw more than 640,000 weapons turned into authorities. There's been a bit of a downward trend in homicides. The gun buybacks were happening around 1996, so there seemed to be a bit of a decline a few years later. Then it ticked back up and since has been on a steady, albeit minor, downward trend since around 2001 or so. That actually corresponds to a global downward trend in violent crime. I saw this in many of the countries that I researched, so it's difficult to say that this small decline is attributable to the gun buyback. We're only looking at about 300 murders annually for an entire country. Chicago alone had 762 homicides just last year. However, what we do know for sure is that firearm homicides did start to go down, but in tandem with knife homicides going up. 
And this is something that I saw over and over again doing this research as well. These are homicide mechanisms by region and globally. The mechanism varies wildly, and this does correlate with existing gun laws to some degree. However, what we're seeing here is not that more homicides are being committed because of gun use, but that more of the homicides committed were done so with firearms. For example, Africa is obviously leading in homicides per capita worldwide, but a relatively small proportion of these are committed with guns. Fewer homicides are happening in America, but a larger proportion of them use guns as the homicide mechanism. Like Australia, Britain forcefully reduced gun ownership, first through tightening gun laws, then through compulsory surrender. In 1920, Britain passed a law requiring civilians to obtain a certificate from their district police chief in order to purchase any firearm except a shotgun. Shotguns were included as part of changes in 1968. In 1997, Britain passed a law requiring civilians to surrender almost all privately owned handguns to the police. More than 162,000 handguns and 1.5 million pounds of ammunition were surrendered by 1998. All right, so when they started gun ownership restrictions, which let's say for this purpose was 1968, although it was really in 1920, there has been a steady increase in homicides. Then we see a bit of a surge after the compulsory surrender in 1997, which may be caused in part by some anomalous non-gun-related homicides. Like in 2000, 58 Chinese people suffocated to death in a shipping container en route for the UK. For our purposes, this does cloud the data a bit, so I don't think that that bump can be attributed to the gun ban. Then we see the same effect that we saw in Australia, which is a moderate decline that I believe is likely encompassed by the global downward trend in violent crime mentioned earlier. Neither Britain nor Australia experienced a decrease in mass shootings or homicides that could be attributed to compulsory buybacks and bans. Mass shootings are so infrequent in both these countries that this data just is not conclusive. Further, the bans and buybacks in both nations have had an ambiguous effect on the homicide data. Certainly nothing to conclude that they have directly reduced homicide frequency. Perhaps a decrease in homicides by firearm, but those people aren't not getting murdered, they're just getting stabbed to death. Truth be told, in America, the idea of a ban or compulsory surrender is so distasteful to the general public that few people on the left even bother suggesting it. I much more often hear arguments for gun restrictions, almost always predicated on the lie that they work. I'm always hearing suggestions from leftists that are already on the books. I've heard suggestions about mental health laws dealing with criminals, blah, blah, blah. If they want to talk about supposed common sense gun reform, they have to see that most of what they want is already law. Their approach to gun reform hinges on criminals just deciding one day not to break the law. So where are people getting their guns? A 1997 Justice Department survey of more than 18,000 state and federal convicts showed that 39.6 of criminals obtain a gun from a friend or family member. Okay, legislation, unless you're willing to block law-abiding citizens that have committed no crimes from their constitutionally protected right to bear arms, based merely on their loose associations. Yeah, you can't do that. No law is going to help you here. 39.2% of criminals obtained a gun on the street or from an illegal source. Laws won't help you here either for obvious reasons. Liberals often argue that if there were fewer guns, there would be less access to guns for criminals. But this is an argument that directly supports banning and compulsory surrender, which we all know would cause a civil war here. 0.7% of criminals purchased a gun at a gun show. 0.7%, eh? That gun show loophole that liberals never shut up about is really doing some damage. 1% of criminals purchased a gun at a flea market. 3.8% of criminals purchased a gun from a pawn shop. 8.3% of criminals actually bought their guns from retail outlets. That means that less than 9% of all guns obtained by criminals in this survey came from retail outlets, and that's the focus of the vast majority of the left's rhetoric on gun control. In a world where legislation could reduce this number of firearms in half, say to 4 or 5%, which is absurdly optimistic, 
there would be a negligible effect on homicide since you can't do anything else about the acquisition of the other 95% of firearms in question. And once again, it isn't like those homicides aren't going to be committed. People are just going to be getting stabbed and strangled. My two favorite examples of gun restrictions worthlessness have got to be Washington, D.C. and Chicago. In 1976, the D.C. City Council passed a law generally prohibiting residents from possessing handguns and requiring that all firearms in private homes, one, be kept unloaded, and two, have a trigger lock or be disassembled at all times. It was struck down as unconstitutional in 2008 for obvious reasons. There was a giant surge in the murder rate starting about a decade after the handgun ban and trigger lock law became effective. So this isn't necessarily related. I've heard several theories that attribute the surge to one thing or another, but it is clear that the unconstitutional handgun ban did not reduce the incidence of murder. Then immediately upon the law being struck down as unconstitutional and presumably more people acquiring handguns around 2008, we see the murder rate go down. Chicago is somewhat similar. In 1982, the city of Chicago instituted a ban on handguns. This barred civilians from possessing handguns except for those registered with the city government prior to the enactment of the law. The law also specified that such handguns had to be re-registered every two years or the owner would forfeit the right to possess them. In 2010, the Supreme Court ruled that Chicago's ban was unconstitutional, again, for obvious reasons. Then Chicago adopted gun regulations that required licensees to have firearm range training, but they prohibited firing ranges from being within the city limits. Eventually, they revised this, but as of January 2016, there were no firing ranges within the city limits. So they just found a roundabout way to make people jump through a million hoops to get a firearm, which seems unconstitutional to me as well. Let's look at the murder data for Chicago. Like in DC, we see a surge in murders about a decade after the handgun ban. Like I said before, we can't necessarily attribute the increase in murders to the ban, but it did happen in both cities. If someone has an alternate explanation for that, was there a nationwide trend during this period, or is it coincidental, or could someone provide me with additional evidence that it may actually be the handgun ban causing a surge a decade later. That seems a bit late to me to imply causation. So I was a bit baffled by this and I'd like your feedback. And like in DC, once the ban was lifted, there was a downturn in the trend again, although this data ends in 2013. I did notice something interesting in the Chicago data set. In our global data set regarding homicide mechanism, we were able to pretty clearly see that the number of homicides stays on trend when there is gun control. Merely the mechanism for homicide changes based on the supply of weaponry. But in Chicago, the portion of murders committed with handguns markedly increased upon the ban. I would expect it to go down and other homicide mechanisms to go up, so this was a bit unusual, and doesn't fare well for those making a case for gun control. And another common sense leftist argument that I hear is that no one really needs a gun. I think that this one's quite funny because the implication here is that the armed police will and can take care of us. But the left hates the police. They run into a real ideological snag here. Research from the Department of Homeland Security reveals that the average duration of an active shooter in a school is 12 and a half minutes. The average response time for law enforcement is 18 minutes. If you're in an active shooter situation and you're unarmed, the only thing you can do is hide and wait until the whole thing is over if no one else has a gun. What if one responsible gun owner stopped the shooting two and a half minutes in, saving lives by preventing the other 10 minutes of shooting? Along the same why would anyone ever need a gun thread, I'm often hearing this false statistic that for every intruder stopped by a homeowner with a firearm, there are four gun-related accidents within the home. I'm not quite sure where this came from, but gun accident statistics are grossly inflated. Since we've been dealing in terms of fatalities, I will go over those. 
In 2014, there were 586 fatal firearm accidents in the United States, constituting 0.4% of 136,053 fatal accidents that year. That seems quite high to me, but when I saw that this was situated amongst things that I would consider quite rare, it put things into perspective for me. Then I was quite alarmed when I read this. A 1993 nationwide survey of 4,977 households found that over the previous five years, at least 0.5% of households had members who had used a gun for defense during a situation in which they thought someone, quote, almost certainly would have been killed if they had not used the gun for protection. This amounted to 162,000 such incidents per year. This excludes all military service, police work, or work as a security guard. There's always a risk that there will be an accidental gun fatality, and that shouldn't be discounted. But when you're making decisions for the safety of your family, you have to do a lot of risk assessment, and I found that data very convincing. I want to circle back to this term common sense gun control and spend the rest of the presentation talking about homicide because you guys know I like to post some potential solutions if I'm going to spend all this time just listing problems. When I think about actual common sense gun control, I think, okay, if we want to reduce the number of firearm related fatalities, we must first find one, where are most of the gun fatalities coming from? And two, how can we most effectively reduce gun fatalities within that population? First of all, another leftist method of obfuscation, perhaps the most egregious, is that they always aggregate suicides and homicides in firearm fatality statistics. Suicides by gun accounted for about six of every 10 firearm deaths in 2010 and just over half of all suicides. Since the CDC began publishing data in 1981, gun suicides have outnumbered gun homicides. But as gun homicides have declined sharply in recent years, suicides have become a greater share of all firearm deaths. The 61% share in 2010 was the highest on record. That year, there were 19,392 suicides by firearm compared to 11,078 homicides by gun, 35% of all firearm deaths. The rest were accidents, police shootings, and unknown causes. Suicide is one of those things that certainly will not go down due to access to firearms. There will always be subways to jump in front of and bridges to leap off of. If you want to help the suicidal, firearm restriction is a worthless path. Most suicides are men, and if society went back to respecting men and their accomplishments and to providing them a framework for success and self-respect again, that would almost certainly reduce the number of suicides. Murder is the next largest group of firearm deaths after suicide. Let's take a look at 2011, for example. There were 14,548 murders. 33% were committed by whites, which were around 67 to 70% of the population at that time. And 38% were committed by blacks, which has remained pretty stable at around 13% of the population. Most of the remaining are unknown and almost certainly majority black, which is consistent across data sets. The majority of offenders are also quite young between the ages of 17 to 34 mostly. This is consistent across decades as well. Between 1980 and 2008, black offenders committed 52% of all homicides in America, while white offenders committed 45%. 13% of the population is committing over half the homicides, and once again, most were youngish men. It is true that there is a lot of gang crime, but it's less significant than you would imagine. There have been several theories explaining this disproportionate number of blacks in murder statistics, but I think that the single most influential factor on the black community is that more than 72% of black children are born to single mothers. That means that the vast majority of young black men are growing up completely absent of a male role model. This is clearly going to have deleterious effects on the black community. According to FBI data, 4,906 black people murdered other black people in just 2010 and 2011. This does not include any of the other people of other races that they've murdered. As I mentioned earlier, there have been 974 people killed in mass shootings in America over the last 50 years. 
That means that in just two years, there were five times the fatalities in just black-on-black homicides than in five decades of U.S. mass shootings. I find that staggering. Leftists keep saying, let's have an honest discussion about guns or an honest discussion about race. But I don't really think that they want to do that. If the left really wants to save people and this isn't political, attack the root problems that are causing white men to kill themselves and black men to kill each other. That will change society and save more lives than any amount of gun control. I've heard Stephen Molyneux say that there's no such thing as gun control, only centralizing gun ownership in a small political elite. People are delusional if they cannot see this. And criminals don't give a shit about breaking the law, by definition, leaving the rest of us, the law-abiding citizens, totally defenseless. The left is in complete denial about the unique nature of America. We have constitutionally protected gun ownership rights. In Australia, people turn over their guns willingly. Other nations have gradually strangled the ability to own. Americans will not tolerate this as other countries have, and we will not give up our guns. And if we're asked to, or God forbid, are mandated to turn them in, it will cause a civil war. People will not do it. Instead, in America, I am certain that people would turn their guns on those collecting them, as they should. And I know that I'm not the only one that would rather risk owning an illegal firearm than face a break-in or confrontation totally defenseless. There are an estimated 330 million guns in this country. If we all decided that we were going to keep our guns illegally, the government would be powerless to prosecute us all. I know I discuss self-defense and homicide a lot today, and that is an important aspect of gun ownership, certainly. But the real reason that the founders wanted to ensure that the populace was always armed was in the event that the government became tyrannical. And only a tyrannical government will try to take your guns. Thanks, folks, and I'll see you soon. Bye.